This sermon is brought to you by Shatter State Chi Alpha. As you listen, we hope that you enjoy it and that it helps you in your walk. Please visit our website in the information below and drop us a message. We would love to hear from you. With no further ado, it's the man, the myth, the legend, Tanner Sherlock. Give it up to him. Take her away. All right. Thanks, Jen. Thanks, CC, for doing the announcements. How's everybody doing tonight? Awesome. In one of these weeks, you guys are actually going to respond to me, and it's going to surprise me, and then I'm going to be, like, emotional, and, like, I'm going to cry, because... All right. Lights work, too. All right. But, uh, yeah, I, I get it. The world's horrible. Your lives are so miserable. It, 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 it's hard. I, I get it. But <clears throat> there we go. Volume. I can hold my mic a little farther away from my mouth. But I keep hearing. But, okay, so I keep hearing here people talking about how the world has just become horrible. Like, how many times have you heard in the media or by your friends or your random grandma or your parents or some random person in your church talk about how horrible the world is and how we're living in the last days and the world's going to end within the next 10 years and no matter who gets elected, whether you're one fan of one side or one fan of the other side, the world's going to end and everything sucks and we're literally living in the last ages. Yeah? I guess. Nod your heads. I've heard it. I've been hearing it all the time. And it drives me crazy. And the reason it drives me crazy is, is multiple reasons. One of the reasons is, and I'm not saying that they're wrong. You know, I'm not saying that we're not living in the last days. Uh, I'm not going to say that one way or the other. But as far as my walk with God, God hasn't definitively told me that we're living in the last days. And so I have to look at Scripture to figure out where we're at. You know what I'm saying? And this isn't going to be a sermon about the, the Revelation or anything like that. But, oh, I love Revelation. But God hasn't definitively told me one thing one way or the other. But one thing that you, is very evident in Scripture is that America is not relevant in the end time prophecies. When you're reading through Revelations or you're reading through Daniel, America isn't mentioned at all. That tells me one thing that America isn't relevant during end-time prophecies. And so when the world's actually going to end, America can't be relevant. The problem with that is, right now we are relevant. We're relevant on a global scale. There's no denying that America is relevant on a global scale. We have the biggest economy. We have the most money. We, push, we have the biggest military. If there was an end-of-days kind of event that were going to occur, America would be the very first thing mentioned. But it's not mentioned in Scripture, so it tells me that America's significance on the global scale has to end before end-time prophecies come about. That's just my analyzing of Scripture. You can take it or leave it however you want. But that what that does tell me is that possibly in America, we're so convinced that the world's going to end soon, maybe what we're being shown is that America's relevancy is going to be ending soon. And so America might end soon, but the world isn't necessarily going to end soon. Does that make sense? Because here in America, I think things have gotten to the point where the church is being persecuted more. You know, we're starting to see a lot of things going down that um, really show us that, that America is no longer the powerhouse that it even used to be 10 years ago. And we're seeing a lot of these things happen, but in the end times, the thing about the end times is that 
the end times aren't going to occur because the world has gotten worse and that the world has gotten so dark that it just consumes everything. See, the, the end times will occur when the church has changed, when the church has stopped being effective, when the church has started to grow dark. And so when we look at America specifically, we look at the world, it doesn't matter how dark the world gets, what matters is what the church is doing. Because I know in here we talk a lot about the church as a whole, and, and I talk about the church as a whole a lot, and I know that doesn't always necessarily apply to every single individual, but in America, the church as a whole is starting to dim a little bit. Our effectiveness is starting to wane. We actually have more missionaries coming from Africa to America than we send out. So that tells me that America's church is starting to darken. And I tell you these things of the church as a whole more as a warning. Not as a, I'm applying it directly to you, but it's a, more of a warning on the whole, the, the, a larger scale, so to say. I just don't want to see you guys, and I don't want to see Chi Alpha specifically, fall into the traps of the church that might be happening to the church on a bigger scale. And so I say these things, and I, and I warn you guys, because I want you guys looking out for stuff like that. If Chi Alpha ever gets to the point and where we're not being effective, and I'm starting to lead you towards a prosperity gospel or something that's just not appropriate, I don't want you to just sit by and ride the ship all the way into the water. I want you guys being a part of correcting the ship. Even if me as the pastor is leading it into the ground, into the water, I want you guys actually having a voice. I want you guys speaking up. And so I talk about the church as a whole, like I said, as a warning. See, because some of you guys in here are called to be teachers. Some of you guys in here are called to be cops or doctors or whatever you're going to school, lawyers. Whatever you're in school, some of you guys are called to be that specific thing. But the thing is, I believe with my whole heart that there's quite a few of you guys in here that are actually called to be missionaries, that are called to be pastors. And yeah, you're at a secular school. You can say, oh, no, I'm in, I'm in a secular school. I'm getting a secular degree. I was in a secular school getting a secular degree. Courtney was in a secular school getting a secular degree. We actually have students that are um, already telling us they're wanting to give a year after they graduate because they feel called into ministry. I know that there's more among you guys that are called into missions, into full-time missions, and you're just not necessarily listening yet, or you're just not heeding to that direction that God's trying to take you. I believe that full, 100% with my heart. But no matter what your profession, no matter if you're called into full-time ministry or whether you're called to be a teacher, we are called to share the gospel. And we made that clear last week that you're called to make disciples no matter what. The scripture is very clear of the call to make disciples. If you're not ready to make disciples, you need to be being discipled. We kind of went over that last week very extens extensively. Um, if you didn't hear last week and you weren't here, go listen to the podcast. It's available online. It's available on your phone. You can just plug it in and, and search for Shatter State Chi Alpha, and you'll find it really easily. I encourage you to go listen to that. But continuing, um, no matter what you're called to career-wise, you are here to serve a bigger purpose. And here can be Chi Alpha. Here can be Shatter State College. Here can be Nebraska. Here could be the United States. Here could be the world. You are here to serve a higher purpose than the purpose that the world has told you you're here to serve. 
The world's told you your purpose is to work your life away, to earn money so that you can live and then live so that you can earn money. And I'm telling you here, you are here to serve a higher purpose. So today, turn in your Bibles to Matthew 7, 12. We're going to have quite a bit of scripture, so I apologize. No, I don't apologize. Scripture is good. All right, you guys ready? Matthew 7, 12. If you don't have your Bibles, we will have it up, up front. All right, Matthew seven twelve. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. Verse 14, for the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. See, this is a warning that we really shouldn't take lightly as Christians. It's a simple warning that we aren't supposed to follow the crowd. I just talked about that a few seconds ago, but it cracks me up when Christians are surprised when uh, they realize that they're not supposed to do the same things of the world or when, when uh, the enemy comes against them or when bad things happen to them. It is just always kind of makes me laugh because it's kind of like somebody going into the military going overseas, getting into a battle, and then coming back surprised that the enemy shot at him. I mean, as a Christian, it's very clear in every book of the Bible that we are to live differently than the world. We're not to, to follow the crowd of the world. We are at war. Simple as that. We are at war as Christians, and our fight is not the popular choice. Period. As far as the world's concerned, what we, the decisions we need to make are not popular. But because of our faith and our belief in Jesus Christ, we are called to another level. We're called to a higher standard. So the things we're called to do, we're asked to do, are not popular. I mean, they're not even popular sometimes within the Christian crowd. And it breaks my heart. For example, the world says that it's healthy to experiment with sex before marriage. But we are called to save sex for marriage. And the reason why, and I can tell you that the world is wrong, is because I will tell you that STDs don't agree with you there. STDs wouldn't exist if everybody on earth saved themselves for marriage. We're literally one generation away from just destroying STDs. If you went out and got tested, made sure that you didn't inherit something from your parents, and then saved yourself for marriage, STDs wouldn't even exist. But the world says it's healthy to experiment with sex before marriage. But as Christians, you're called to abstain. You're also called to abstain from getting drunk. The world says that it's a rite of passage and that everyone should try it. But according to the CDC, nearly 88,000 people die from alcohol-related causes in the U.S. alone, making alcohol the fourth leading preventable cause of death in the United States. And currently, there are 16.3 million adults in America alone ages 18 and older, who are categorized as alcoholics. That tells me that the world is wrong. It quickly becomes clear that God's agenda and the world's agenda are not the same. So continue verse 15. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits, are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. 
Verse 18, a healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. See, and within this piece of scripture, I'm, I'm quick to recognize that in, in communicating about this verse more often than not, people will point you to, to a prosperity gospel preacher or someone who, a preacher who's, who's obviously flawed in their ways. But the problem with that is, is the scripture right here is saying, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, not in shepherd's clothing. So the warning is against sheep, not shepherds. And so we're to be looking and watching out for other Christians within our Christian circles, other sheep who are merely just a wolf in sheep's clothing. So we're to be aware, we're to check things against Scripture. Even if your best friend says, hey, the Bible says this. Oh, the Bible says it's okay to go out and get drunk. Oh, the Bible says this. You need to be checking things because a, a wolf in sheep's clothing is not out to set, or is, is set out not to adhere to God's commands and adhere to what we are called to, but a wolf in sheep's clothing will be constantly trying to lead you astray. And so the scripture is actually warning us to keep our eyes on other Christians who might be trying to lead us astray. It's saying a wolf in sheep's clothing, not a wolf in shepherd's clothing. Verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do the mighty works in your name? Verse 23, and then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. So you notice here they utilized gifts of the Holy Spirit. He talks about, let me get back. We cast out demons, we prophesied in your names, we did mighty works in your name. So he's talking about gifts from the Holy Spirit, things that we are given and cannot be taken away, but it doesn't talk about fruit of the Spirit. It doesn't say, God, we did many things of words of wisdom, or, well, this is, the, the gifts are words of wisdom, words of knowledge, faith, gifts of healing, miracles, prophecy, distinguishing between spirits, tongues, interpretations of tongues. It's not talking about the fruits of the Spirit. See, it doesn't say, God, we loved in your name. We had joy in your name. We had patience in your name. We had kindness in your name. God, we had goodness in your name. We had faithfulness in your name. We had gentleness in your name. We had self-control in your name. See, it's not talking about the fruit of the Spirit. It's talking about gifts of the Spirit. See, we're still to adhere to the fruits of the Spirit because we can take gifts from God and we can use them for our own benefit. But the fruits of the Spirit are undeniable. You can't love somebody for your own sake and your own benefit because you're not truly loving them. You can't be patient for your own benefit. You're not gentle for your own benefit. So you're gentle for the benefit of others. See, it's almost saying that just because you use a gift from God, but you bear bad fruit, as in that if that fruit is contrary to the fruit of the Spirit, you are not, in, um, you are not of Jesus. And so just because you're using your gifts doesn't mean that you're of Jesus. Continue verse 24. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, 
and beat on the house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat against that house, and it fell. And great was the fall of it. So I think it's time to be honest in here a little bit. And getting into my sermon, no, no matter how you look at it, you need to stop and you need to ask yourself, am I truly committed to God's will? Because the first month of the school year, this whole first month, I've been talking about over and over again, following God's will above your own. Trying to look at your walk many different ways. Because I want you guys to be self-aware. I want you guys to be able to address your walks and be able to apply it. We've been talking about the gospel of Jesus to making disciples. See, what it comes really comes down to is your walk with Christ. See, but Matthew 7.21 is a verse that I think about regularly. Not only as your guys' pastor and whether or not I'm leading you guys the right way, but even just as a Christian, just like you guys. Regular old follower of Jesus Christ. Verse 21 is something that I think we need to keep on the back of our minds. Because I think we need to be looking at our walk with Christ under a magnifying glass. And we constantly need to have that self-aware approach. So like, do I believe that I'm going to get to heaven because I preach sermons and I might be able to leave people to Christ and I might be able to memorize scripture? Do I believe I'm going to get to heaven for those reasons? Because I can do all of these things and still not be in Christ. Even as your guys' pastor, I could still lead you guys. I could still preach. I could still lead people to Christ. I could do all of these things and still not be of Jesus Christ and still not be in his will, even as your guys' pastor. And so I constantly think about it. When I get to heaven, is Jesus going to say, well done, my good and faithful servant? Or is he going to say, get away from me, I never knew you? No, I'm not saying that we need to live in doubt of our faith in Jesus Christ. That's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is we need to have a healthy, self-aware look at our walks. We need to be honest. We need to approach it with as little pride as possible and look at it and say, hey, am I of Christ? Have I been displaying the fruits of the Holy Spirit? Or have I merely just been using my gifts? See, and the thing that we're alluding to, and I've talked about earlier, was In Christianity in America, I've talked a lot about how Christianity in America has gotten so watered down that it's not even real Christianity anymore. Christianity in America has gotten so watered down that for most Christians, going to church on Sunday, maybe coming to Chi Alpha on Tuesday, is their Christian walk. They'll claim that they're a Christian even though they don't know what the Bible says. They've never even opened their Bible. They've never prayed. They would still call themselves a Christian. So Christianity has gotten so watered down. Because in America, if you're a Christian and you read your Bible regularly, you're a giant in the faith. If you pray daily, even if it's only for five minutes a day, most people would look at you as if you were a giant in the faith within your own church. And I'm not, hopefully I'm not talking about Chi Alpha, but in a lot of churches in America, it's that way. If you abstain from sex and you save sex until marriage, you are an endangered species, even in Christianity in America. America has gotten watered down. 
And so what I'm asking you guys tonight is to be truly self-aware. About five years ago, I went on a missions trip to Santiago, Chile. It was one of the worst mission trips I've ever been on in my entire life. And it is actually like the only overseas mission trip I've ever been on in my entire life. To start out, we, uh, we fly um, to Atlanta. It takes about three and a half hours to fly to Atlanta. We then hopped on a plane and flew for like 13 hours to Chile. We were in pretty much the same time zone. It was absolutely ridiculous. The entire time, the dude in front of me had his, his seat all the way back. And so a few times, I even just breathed heavily into his ear just to see if he would put his seat forward, and he didn't. 13 hours of that. It's kind of old. So then we get there. I hadn't been able to sleep at all because this dude's face was pretty much in mine, and it was awkward. We get there, and we're waiting for the bags to come around. My bag's not coming around, and my bag didn't come. They lost my bag. So I'm in Santiago, Chile for a week, and I don't even have my own clothes. So I had to wear my nasty, stinky clothes for three days before my bag finally showed up. Now I am thankful that my bag did show up. It was a horrible, horrible experience. But I still absolutely love this mission trip. I learned so much from this mission trip. But one of the things that really just was kind of cool to me was, I don't know if you know anything about South America, but the entire continent is about five foot five. Like, Ruben, stand up. Sorry. Ruben's not short in South America. Ruben is actually a little tall in South America. I seriously mean this. The entire time I was in Santiago, Santiago is approximately equal to, like, Phoenix, Arizona, population-wise. The entire time I was there, I saw two people over six foot tall, and both of them were white people that spoke English, so were probably from America. The entire time we were there, I didn't see a single person taller than me the entire time we were there. There was actually an old dude that fell off a curb because it was, he, it was walking by me. He was staring at me. And he didn't realize there was a curb, and he just fell off the curb. Like when we were, stand, we were standing in the transit, the buses, I could see all the way to the front, even if I was clear in the back. So it's kind of nice because then I could see over everybody's heads and see what was going on. And uh, one of the other things that happened on this, this trip, we didn't realize it, but there was a, uh, a protest that occurred right outside of our hostel. And uh, while we were walking back one day, we got off the, the subway, we're walking back, and all of a sudden our eyes start burning and our throats start itching, and we're like coughing, and our, like every mucus membrane in your body started leaking. And we couldn't figure out what was going on. And we get back to our hostel, and we figure out that there was a protest, and they actually used tear gas to disperse the crowds. And so we were actually breathing tear gas as soon as we got off the transit. <clears throat> But my time in, in Santiago, obviously, the, the point of the mission trip was we were going to the colleges in Santiago, because Santiago is one of the main collegiate centers of Chile. We were going to the colleges, and we were going out, and we were just sharing the gospel with people that were going to college, same age as we were, just having conversations with them. English is the second language there, so it was actually very easy to communicate with people. But that's not the point of the story. See, when we were getting back from Chile... We take off from Santiago, and I can see over everybody's heads. We arrive in Atlanta, and I actually got a little bit depressed because I realized I wasn't the tallest person in the country anymore. <laughs> I was like, oh, man. I turned to one of my friends. I was like, 
I'm normal. Uh, I'm normal height here. Like I couldn't see over anybody's head anymore. There was like five people within eyesight that were taller than me. I was so sad. So you might be asking me, what is the point of this story? I'm so glad you asked. The thing is, it's easy to look like a giant when you're living in a country that standard is a little bit lower. So because when it comes to being a Christian in America, it can feel like you're a giant, like you're practically one of the best Christians you know. And compared to your heathen friends or compared to your, you know, your mom or <laughs> who you feel like comparing yourself to, you might be a giant in the Christian world here. But when you start walking among the giants, you begin to realize how little you really are, how little your walk really is with Christ. Because when it comes down to it, when we get to heaven and God's saying, you're standing before God and he's judging your life and you're taking the most intense test of your entire existence, it's not going to be based off of a curb. It's not going to be judged off of a curb. It's literally a pass-fail test. It's not going to say, oh, you were better than Christian B standing next to you in Chi Alpha. Your walk is going to be judged according to your walk. You're going to be alone. You can't have your friend vouch for you and say, oh, yeah, he was a, an a awesome Christian. He, he shared the gospel with me a couple times. Your walk is going to be judged on a pass-fail basis. And what it comes down to is Matthew 7. Will God say, well done, my good and faithful servant? Or will he say, get away from me, I never knew you? So tonight we're going to finish with this. I know we've been reading quite a bit of scripture, but um, here's one last one. But this one is the, the piece of scripture for tonight that I want you to bookmark, and I want you to highlight it, put a paper in there, and I want you to come back to this verse or this, this passage of Scripture later on this week. Turn to Luke 18. Like I said, I apologize for how much Scripture we've had tonight, and it's been kind of rough preaching with that much Scripture on my, in my sermon, but Luke 18, starting in verse 10. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and was praying this to himself, God, I thank you that I'm not like the other people, swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing some distance away, was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven, but was beating his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. I tell you, this man went to the house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled but he who humbles himself will be exalted. In today's day and age, we don't necessarily look at tax collectors the same way. I mean, they're still considered, you know, sinners, but you can, I, guess, I think you could be a good Christian tax collector in today's world. But, I mean, think about this way. Maybe if you're not going to use the word tax collector, put in the word, you know, put in a, a former prostitute here. You got a, a former prostitute beating her chest, saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. And that just kind of changes your outlook a little bit. So we're talking about being a giant in the Christian world. 
So your first inclination is to look at the Pharisee and say, I don't want to be the Pharisee. I don't want to be the person who's constantly judging people, considering myself to be greater than them. I'm looking down on other people that aren't necessarily as good of a Christian as I am. But it applies on the other uh, edge of the scale. Say that you don't think you're good enough. You don't think you've been a good enough Christian or you haven't been reading your Bible enough or you haven't been praying enough. And you're looking at your friend and saying, man, they're such a godly, godly man or woman. I am nothing compared to them. Even on that edge of the scale, you're still falling into the same trap as the Pharisees at this, in this specific parable. Because you're still judging your walk with Christ according to somebody else. You're saying, I'm not good enough because I'm not reading my Bible enough. I'm not doing these things that this awesome Christian is doing. But the thing is, even with their walk, the, the Pharisee, as he stands before God in this temple, he's pretty much putting his Facebook profile over to God. He's saying, here's the best of everything I'm doing. And he's completely omitting all of the worst that he's done. And your friend might be just like that. They might be putting forward their Facebook profile when they come around you and they talk Christianese in your ear and make it sound like they're an awesome Christian. But in reality, they're struggling with so much. I mean, as, as Christians in America, we're struggling, hopefully. I mean, Scripture tells us as, as you uh, stand out for Christ that you will be uh, persecuted for his name. So hopefully, you guys are being perse- persecuted for the name of Christ. Because if you're not, it speaks volumes. But the tax collector was saying, be merciful to me. I'm a sinner. He was the only one who walked away from that temple blessed. He wasn't trying to hide who he was from God. He wasn't trying to put his best foot forward to Christ. When he gets judged, he's not going to put the same thing forward as far as the people who uh, got turned away from Christ and he says, get away from me, I never knew you. He's going to walk up to Jesus Christ and he's going to say, I've done all of these horrible, horrible things. Please forgive me. And the thing is, Jesus Christ, when you approach him with that mindset, he forgives you. He's forgiven everything, no matter how bad of of a sin you've committed. And Paul was a murderer, and he ended up writing most of our New Testament. And Jesus forgave him. I'm sure he can forgive your sins. But you've got to be intrinsically focused, and you've got to be self-aware. You can't hide your sins. You can't live underneath somebody else's shadow because you might be a better Christian or you can't live underneath somebody else's shadow because you think you're a lesser of a Christian. Your walk has to be your own. A few weeks ago I said I didn't care how religious you were that you couldn't be as religious as the Pharisees because they had the first chapters of the, or the first five books of the Bible memorized and that included numbers. Tonight I'm saying that I don't care how good of a Christian you think you are or are not compared to somebody else. You need to be walking your walk out. You need to be focused on Christ, not your neighbor. I mean, when you run a race, you focus on the finish line. You don't focus on somebody behind you or somebody right in front of you. You run your own race. The focus shouldn't be at others. If you look at somebody else, and you can feel your value of yourself either increase or decrease according to them, 
you're studying them for the wrong reason. You're looking at them for the wrong reasons. Look like, act like Jesus. And Jesus tells us to pick up our crosses daily and follow him. Let's start making the sacrifices it takes to serve Jesus, not just serve Jesus better than the next guy. So tonight I was originally going to plan on having an altar call. We're going to bring the small group leaders up. But as I was praying about service tonight, I felt like we were going to do something a little bit different. And so this is going to be very different than what you're probably used to. And so I'm going to read off the lyrics to one of my favorite worship songs. And your job is to close your eyes. I'm going to give you like 30 seconds right now. Close your eyes and just completely clear your minds. 30 seconds, clear your mind. Don't worry about the sermon. Don't worry about what you're doing after Chi Alpha. Just take a second, clear your minds. And now as I read this, I want you to picture it as if you were fully there. As if you could feel what's going on. As if you could observe it the way God probably observed it. As if you could even see God's reaction to what's going on. Allow yourself the full magnitude of the lyrics to hit you. Don't try to sing along. You're probably going to know the lyrics. I don't care if you have the song memorized or not. Don't sing along. Don't try to, to sing out the next verse. Don't repeat it out loud. I don't care if you have the song memorized. What I'm trying to get you guys to do is to feel the lyrics. So your mind's clear. You guys ready? Eyes closed. The moon and stars, they wept. The morning sun was dead. The Savior of the world was fallen, his body on a cross, his blood poured out for us, the weight of every curse upon him. One final breath he gave as heaven looked away. The Son of God was laid in darkness, a battle in the grave. The war on death was waged. The power of hell forever broken. The ground began to shake. The, sto the stone was rolled away. His perfect love could not be overcome. Now death, where is your sting? Our resurrected king has rendered you defeated. Forever he is glorified. Forever he is lifted high. Forever he is risen. He is alive. He is alive. You guys can open your eyes. This is merely just a worship song. Man, if you guys felt the same thing as I felt, even just reading it, just our worship songs can hold so much power. Can you even fathom how amazing this was when it actually occurred? Can you even fathom how much power there was in Jesus actually being put on the cross? Jesus actually being put into the grave. Jesus actually arising fully alive. I mean, if our worship songs can hold that much power, imagine what the actual thing was like back then. How magnificent and powerful the event truly was. So with that kind of power and that kind of event and that kind of magnitude is just going to church 
is just going to Chi Alpha going to cut it? When you think about how magnificent that actually was, is just going to church enough? Or does an event like that call us to a higher standard, a higher calling in our lives, not merely just to be another human being on earth, going about our business, working to live, living to work, or is there more? Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to come into Chi Alpha tonight. And even though there was a lot of people missing because uh, we changed rooms and the sermon was a little bit choppy compared to normal because of so much scripture we went over. Lord, I pray that the magnitude of, of what really transpired when Jesus hung on the cross would be 100% apparent to us as we leave here. Lord, that the, the weight of Jesus Christ sacrificing himself for our sins would be upon us. Not in the, the heavy weight that, that bears down on us, but the weight that lifts us up. Because that's what Jesus Christ ultimately does. And so, Jesus, we thank you for dying on the cross for our sins. We thank you that our own Christian walk is our own Christian walk. And so, Lord, I pray for every student in here as they leave here tonight, that you would help them to focus on getting closer to you. That they would advance in their walk, and they wouldn't waste any time looking to their neighbor, looking to their friend, looking to their grandma, and saying, oh man, I'll never be as good of a Christian as them. But Lord, that their walk would be their walk. That they would be able to focus on you. Lord, I thank you for every single student in here, and I just pray that you will bless them as they leave here. They would help them have abundant time to work on their homework and to get their studies done. Lord, we just thank you, and it's in your name and for your glory we pray.